Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates, and our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Welcome back. I'm attorney Sean Bigley, and I'm here with my co-host, Lindy Kaiser. We're talking this segment about conditional security clearances. And, you know, Lindy, I think this is something that a lot of people are surprised exists or people who are aware of it. They're sort of peripherally aware. And, and you know, it's, it's sort of like, you know, this Loch Ness monster or, or, you know, this thing that's sort of out there that people have heard about, but nobody's really seen. I guess my initial question for you is how often do you see issues or questions about conditional clearances come up on clearance jobs? Never. <laughs> I like the Loch Ness monster of security clearances, but one of my favorite government security professionals, Perry Russell Hunter, was on the National Industrial Security Program Policy Advisory Committee meeting last week. And he was talking about conditional clearances and just reminded me that it existed. And it's one of those things that bubbles up every so often I hear somebody mention it. But again, I've never actually caught one in real life. So I don't know if it's like Bigfoot or so, but I've heard that they exist. I've heard people talk about them. So I really wanted to geek out and talk about it too, because it's one of those, these are my favorite security clearance topics, Sean, like the wonky, like it's codified in policy. We know it exists, but there's actually some competing policy around it too. Like, I don't know if if we've talked about this before, but I've read that kind of authority around conditional clearances, I think was granted to DOD CAF in some aspect. And then I wasn't sure if Doha has authority over it as well, but I would, I would guess based on comments that they do. But then I've also read in some, some DCSA language that they've published that Doha does not have authority for conditional clearances. So I guess those are a few like, where do these things come from? Who has authority around them? Have you ever met one in real life, Sean? <laughs> Tell me. Yeah, I feel like it's like that Christmas M&M's commercial where the M&M's are there and Santa Claus comes in and they look at each other and say, you do exist. It's, it's the same sort of deal. To answer your question, Yes, I have seen this. It is a thing. It does exist. And it's actually something that's really important for people to know about who maybe have an issue in their background that's kind of borderline and they're worried like, you know, can I get or keep the clearance with this? So let me give you kind of the quick and dirty on this. Prior to the implementation of Security Executive Agent Directive or CAD for circa 2017, DOD, which is obviously the largest clearance granting entity, generally did not have authority to grant conditional clearances. Or I should more specifically say DOD CAF did, but it was very rare. Doha didn't really, or at least they said they didn't. And so it was this general understanding in our line of work that like, If you were at DOD, it was a real long shot of even asking for this. So don't waste your time. Other agencies did kind of have uh, implicit authority to do this, but there wasn't really a whole lot out there in writing that was sort of backing that up. So CAD4 comes along. Now, all of a sudden, we have in writing explicit authority to grant conditional clearances. People were kind of looking around going, well, all right, you know, what do we do with this? What does it mean? The general consensus on this is, you know, it's not something that you really ought to bank on per se. It's fairly rare. Agencies are oftentimes hesitant to do it, mainly because it creates a logistical headache for them where, you know, somebody's got to monitor a conditional clearance just for the sake of 
clarity here so that everybody understands what we're talking about. Conditional clearance being you're granted a clearance, but it's conditioned on something. For example, quarterly drug tests or continued timely filing of your tax returns or, you know, something that is a potential issue, but the government says, okay, you know, it's a borderline case. We trust you like 90%, but we want to, you know, trust but verify. That's where this comes up. Now, again, somebody has to monitor that. And so that's where the headache comes in. And sometimes agencies just don't want to deal with it. If you have, you know, somebody who's a very valuable employee, a borderline, you know, case, but it's a sympathetic one. Those are the scenarios where a conditional clearance might be very valuable. And so sometimes we offer it as part of our defense of our clients. We offer it to the agency and say, okay, you know, look, we understand there's some issues here. We understand that, you know, the person may need a little bit more time to prove themselves. How about a conditional clearance? It's been a mixed bag uh, when it comes to Doha and and some of the other agencies. The sort of KG response that we sometimes get is, well, we haven't really implemented that authority. And and you know we argue, well, if you look at CAD four, it doesn't require anything to implement it. It's self executing, which is a legal term, but it basically means like the authority exists. You don't have to do anything to grant it to yourself. But agencies will will sometimes tie themselves into these legal knots by saying, well, you know, we don't have internal agency policy, etc. I think it's kind of a cop out most of the time. But depending on the agency and depending on the situation, it can be a viable option for folks. Man, only in the government would they shirk authority. Authority rather than accept it. I've been grasping an authority that I wasn't qualified for for a decade, but that is it is like, <laughs> a like standard government response. Because we get that with a lot of the implementation of things that come out of the the CADs is like, well, we are waiting for more formal guidance, even for something that they actually have authority to take on. So that's... I will also add this, and this is trivia for you, Lindy. I'm curious if you've ever heard this term preclusion No. Okay. So this is something I actually have an article coming out. What is a security clearance preclusion? And a preclusion is kind of another variation, if you will, on a conditional grant. Some agencies, most often the State Department, use this where they have somebody who they would like to keep, typically a diplomat, and the person has, you know, lived overseas for a number of years. Maybe they met their spouse while they were serving overseas and their spouse is a foreign citizen of, you know, country X. And so the State Department says, okay, we're going to allow you to keep your clearance, but it's going to be with a preclusion, i.e. precluding you from working on or having access to classified information dealing with anything pertaining to country X. Because, you know, we are concerned that, you know, spouse's family or spouse themselves could potentially, you know, somehow pressure you to divulge information or maybe even not that directly, you know, they get put under pressure and then, you know, by, by a foreign government and then it somehow, you know, leads to you being pressured. So we're going to just take that off the table and, and you know, just simply make it so that, you know, you don't have access to that. And in, in some respects, it actually makes it better for the employee because, you know, now they're not put in the position of potentially being pressured or, or coerced into providing the information. If they are approached 
for example, by a, a foreign operative seeking that type of information, they can simply say, hey, I, I don't have access to it. I'm not allowed to. We see security clearance preclusions come up from time to time, most often, again, at the State Department. But it's something that very few people are aware exists. And it's kind of a spin on a conditional clearance. Yeah, that's super interesting. I love it when you give me a new geeky term I've never heard of before, Sean. So very <laughs> interesting. I want to wrap up and, and kind of ask you about, so you, this is born out of directives. So in theory, it should apply across the cleared workforce, I would think, again, right? But again, I heard about this from Doha. And we do know that sometimes there is security clearances are a different beast in the IC or different agencies versus DOD. So maybe talk to that on conditional clearances. Is that something that you're, do those exist within the IC clearance process as well? Or is this just kind of a DOD thing that we're talking about? It is government wide now, you know, prior to the implementation of CAD for it was typically only something we saw in the IC or rarely within DOD proper as applied to military service members or civilians, not folks who were going through the process at Doha. Now it is government-wide. It is something that conceivably applies at every agency. Although again, there are still a few resistors or holdouts. Um, lately, it's it's been the Department of Energy in particular that's been saying, oh, well, you know, we don't have that internal implementation yet. We don't have the authority to do that. And we're like, well, guys, you know, if this is government-wide policy, you don't need anything else beyond that. But we are still running into that resistance on occasion. And I think it has more to do with a lack of interest in, you know, having to monitor these sorts of things rather than an actual resistance to the the theory behind it itself. So bottom line, you know, if somebody has a borderline case or they're they're wondering if you know, maybe they would qualify for a conditional clearance. It is a possibility. It is something that's worth broaching if, you know, certainly if the agency says that they're going to deny or revoke your clearance, if there's a way that you can kind of thread the needle and say, okay, well, I understand that you're concerned that I previously had an alcohol issue, but I went to rehab, it's under control. And now, you know, I will uh, agree to submit myself to random testing you know, once a month for 12 months at my own expense. You know, you can kind of get creative with what condition might be palatable to the agency, but it is an option and certainly a heck of a lot better than losing the clearance altogether. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cleared Past. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.